Christmas is this time of receiving, this time of joy and laughter, this time of delight. And we know that, you know, that this Christmas season, it's, it's weeks, and if it's up to Walmart, it's months in the making, right? You know, the, the decorations get put out on display, and boxes get brought down from the attic, and gifts start to get purchased, or at least put in the, shop, the online shopping cart. And all of this buildup that is building towards this Christmas morning, and then all of a sudden, it's today. The presents are unwrapped. The coffee has been drunk. The lights start getting put back in boxes. The Christmas tree comes down. And all of this buildup, building up to this climactic moment of Christmas morning and all of the joy and all of the expectation and all of the wonder, and then what? And what I love about the Bible is it has a similar build-up up. for thousands of years. The prophecies were pointing to this moment, the fulfilled, all of these words given across all kinds of different people in all kinds of different places that all pointed to this miraculous moment of God becoming one of us, of showing up in this little town called Bethlehem. Born to a Virgin Mary. All of the different words that were spoken, building and leading to this Christmas morning. But the good news of the Bible is that actually wasn't the climax of the story. In some ways, it was the conclusion of lots of things that had led up to that point. But in more ways, it was actually the start of something new. The inauguration of a moment. God breaking his kingdom into our world. And there's even a hint of that in the rest of the Christmas story in Luke 2. Christmas Eve, we read that classic Charlie Brown Christmas tale leading up to the shepherds being told of this amazing moment and just saying to themselves, let's go see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us, making their way with haste, hurrying to Mary and Joseph in that stable and the baby lying in a manger. Now I'll start here in verse 17. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all of these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds, well, they returned glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. We see Mary treasuring and pondering, the shepherds praising and glorifying and telling that this story that culminated in that moment in Bethlehem was then distributed out, processed and pondered, wrestled with and carried forth like seed that falls to a ground and grows into an abundant harvest. I love that the shepherds up to this point, up to the day before, were just a bunch of good old boy, blue collar workers working out in the field, probably teenagers, not that respected in their, in their community because they had the smelly job, the dirty job. And now, in a moment, with an encounter with Jesus, 
they carry the most precious news in the world. They have, from the most despised position, they are now carrying with them the most honored position. It'd be like wait one day going to your minimum wage job at McDonald's and then having a conversation with a messenger that immediately now makes you ambassador to the president of the United States. It's like one day you're making 850 and the next minute you're standing on a global stage telling the world about what is happening in the most powerful nation on the planet. And in the same way, these shepherd boys go from nobodies in a field, lying in front of a cave, protecting helpless sheep, to now proclaiming the most amazing news. And their words are being proclaimed around the world to high and low, rich and poor, throughout all of history. And what if? What if this Christmas 2021 is no different than that Christmas that first year? What if all of the buildup, everything in your life up to this point has been culminating in this moment right here, in an encounter with God? And what if from an encounter with God, when we see Jesus with our own eyes, hear Jesus with our own ears, encounter Jesus in our soul, we are now transformed to carry the most precious, powerful news in the history of the world. Amen? I don't feel like you get that. I mean, you just sang about it. That the one who was dead was brought back to life. That your sin has been wiped away. That, that you're, you're changed. You've been set free. That death no longer has a hold on you. That the end of the story has already been written and you're included in the tale. That we get to carry the most important news in the world. But I also love that the shepherds went back to their job. They went back to their field. They didn't leave their flock wandering around. They went back to their lives, but they went back to their lives forever changed. And what would it look like for a small community of people in this small town, Monroe, Georgia, in 2021, looking into the face of 2022, to encounter Jesus in such a way that even as we go into the, our lives, back into our lives, we are forever transformed. And Mary, treasuring, pondering. That word treasure in the Greek is centeri. It means to keep in the memory, but it also carries with the idea of guarding or protecting. It would be like the, the, the cops at Fort Knox that, that are in charge of, of all the gold of the country, and they stand there treasuring, keeping, protecting that. And so the things that Mary saw, the things that she heard, the things that didn't quite make sense yet, the things that she was struggling and wrestling with God about, the words that he had spoken, that she was protecting that like gold in a vault. It was that precious to her. And pondering. Symbolo is the Greek word there. It comes from the root that means that have a conversation. But it carries with it the idea of having a conversation with yourself. Anyone besides me ever had a conversation with themselves? Anyone besides me ever had a conversation with yourself out loud in a public place and then realized, oh, 
That was out loud in a public place. Like at Home Depot, I do it all the time. Right? I have my list in my head and what I'm needing, and I, and I just all of a sudden just start telling myself what I'm needing in front of everyone. I see some nodding. I'm not alone in this. As I get older, it's happening more and more often, which scares me for uh, 10 years from now. I'll be just wandering down the streets of Monroe talking to myself. Don't worry, it's probably a great conversation. You don't have to stop me. That's exactly what Mary's doing. She's treasuring, protecting like gold in a vault and pondering, having a conversation with herself about the things that she had seen and heard. Now, we know that based on all of, everything up to this point about Mary and everything that we're going to see this point on, that conversation with herself also includes a, a, a third party, God. That the Spirit is what is carrying that conversation forward in her soul. And so for you, the end of 2021, looking into 2022, what are the things that you have seen and heard? The things that God has done, the things he's spoken, the things that he's highlighted to you, that you read that verse and it, and it felt like it pierced your soul or, or you sat in that waiting room or in that, in that hospital or beside that bedside or, or with that baby or with that child or in your job and, and, and something came to you, a word of encouragement or comfort or maybe something began to get inspired in you. A dream began to reawaken. A hope got reignited. An imagination of what could be with your life. Maybe you began to realize that this identity, this name that you've been calling yourself all your, for years and years, useless or worthless or dumb or forgotten. And then God says, no, 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 I never called you that. You're my beloved. You're precious. You're powerful. You're my lion. You're my encourager. You're my son, my daughter. What are the words that God has spoken to you? What are the things that he's highlighted? And those things, that were, as Mary did, to treasure those, to protect them, guard them like gold in a vault, and ponder them. Converse with God and yourself about them. God, you spoke this thing. I don't quite understand it. God, you gave this word. You brought this person. You, 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 this idea came to my mind. I'm really struggling with this. This question came up. God, what do you want me to know? What do you want me to do with it? What is God saying to you? So like shepherds, may we go into this year telling, glorifying, and praising what God has done. But like Mary, may we continue to treasure and ponder the things that God has spoken, the things that God has shown. I really believe that as a church family, God has led us to this moment right here. I don't think it was an accidental word that led us to Monroe in the first place as a church that brought the first initial families together to begin praying and worshiping together in that old mill. I don't think it was an accident that God led us to this old abandoned school property and miraculously provided the means. And I don't think it was, a, it was just uh, incidental, just... just uh, just the ideas of man that led us to, to begin restoring and renovating this space with the idea of, of turning it into a mission field for the community, ascending, launching hub of ministry 
for the neighborhoods, the nations, and the next generation. I believe God has led us to this moment, but I also believe that we are standing on the verge of what God is about to release, that it was all about up to this point, and that we don't even know. We can't even begin to guess what God has yet in store. I believe that to my bones about this church. And I believe it in my core about you. Because the reality is what God is going to unleash from this place is what God is wanting to awaken and unleash from your lives. None of us in this room, whether you are six or 60, is called to be a spectator to God's miraculous movement. Every one of you is called to participate in this kingdom work that begins first in our soul and is carried out through our lives. Now, you can spectate. God gives everyone a choice. But I want to tell you this. It's either going to be boring or offensive to you. That's where this path goes. If you so choose to just spectate and watch what God is doing in this church, in this community, in this city, it will be. I'm money back guaranteed. I don't have any money, but <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it will either become boring or offensive to you. But the shepherd's call is on your life. And the merry challenge is being held before you. What does God have in store for you? And so with that in mind, and I do believe this as well, I believe that we have been clumsily, I don't want to say playing because that sounds trite, and I really do mean it seriously. But when God began to plant the idea of Watch Week in our hearts, what, eight years ago? I, I think that that was important for the last eight years. And, and for those of you that don't, aren't a part of, haven't been a part of Grace, uh, it's basically this call to set aside the first few days of the year uh, to just reset our hearts and our minds on the things of God. And so prayer, worship, fasting. And I feel like every year it's almost like a child learning to walk. You know, that first year we got together and we prayed for a few days. And then God began to teach us more about, about continual prayer, nonstop prayer. And then God began to teach us more about fasting and spiritual disciplines. And, and then awaken our hearts a, de a desire for deeper worship. And, and I believe that we stand here now in this space that God has led us to in this year, 2022, to enter into this next scene, next, next season, wholeheartedly. That God has something in store for us as a church over the next month, 21 days. And so again, I'm going to invite you into that. Hopefully on your way in, I want to just walk you through very quickly. Because this, we're starting into this right as the, new, as the year begins. Which is crazy. By the end of this week, it will be 2022. Let that sink in right there. By the end of this week, it's 2022. I remember hearing about the 2020s back in like an elementary school and thinking, that is science fiction far off stuff. Surely by the time we get there, we'll be flying in our own little personal cars. They haven't invented that yet, but still hoping. That would be the best gift, even better than a coffee cup that keeps its own temperature. 
So on your way in, hopefully you got one of these journey journals that we've put together. And I just want to walk you through a few things because this really, I mean, this begins next Sunday. And so I want to invite you into that. Prayer, worship, and fasting. I'm going to begin first with, uh, with, with the fasting. So last year we began what's called a Daniel fast. Daniel fast comes out of Daniel 1 and Daniel chapter 10. We see fasting all throughout the Bible. Uh, fasting in the Bible always is about food. Um, it doesn't mean that it's necessarily wrong to fast or to cease from um, other things. Like maybe one of the healthiest things for your soul for the next 21 days might be to fast from social media. Uh, just saying. <laughs> maybe really seriously consider that. Uh, but that's not what biblical fasting. Biblical fasting always deals with food, which is interesting because it deals with our core appetite. It, what is common to all humanity. Our own cravings, our, our own gut. And fasting biblically is about intentionally, it's a discipline. It's not meant to be pleasurable or fun. It is about setting aside our own appetites, our own physical appetites, in order to increase our hunger and spiritual appetite for God. But it's not pleasant. Just as any discipline is not pleasant. No football player loves running sprints over and over again. Now, they sure do love playing in the Super Bowl. In the same way, discipline for us, and and, uh, the Bible tells us that, you know, physical discipline, physical exercise, it's good, it's not bad. But how much more important is is that exercise of our soul? And so Daniel fast is, is, a, is a partial fast. Uh, it, it comes out of uh, Daniel seeking the Lord first in Daniel chapter 1 when he set aside for the king's service and, uh, and only doesn't eat of the king's food. Daniel 10, uh, Daniel's heart is broken for his people and sets him up to receive this powerful vision from God. And, and so we see in Daniel that uh, this fasting is about preparing his own heart to be both used by God and to hear from God. Both the things that we just were talking about, feeling like we're on the verge of as a church family. Uh, and so um, all things that we need for strengthening, for healing, for, um, for uh, discerning. And so the simple Daniel fast, quite simply, is uh, based on Daniel 10. It's a 21-day, three-week fast of giving up everything but just about water and vegetables, fruit and vegetables. Now, there are people that have gotten very intricate with the Daniel fast, what is allowable, what is not. I will say this, and this is just a personal note. Um, last year, we did it for the first time as a, as a church family, and I think it was really good. I heard a lot of amazing breakthrough stories of what God was doing in people's lives. At the same time, because it was so novel, a lot of the conversation that was happening was just simply quite about the food. What can you eat? What can you not eat? Oh, I had this amazing recipe that used only vegetables, which, by the way, ratatouille uh, is an amazing dish that we discovered last year. Just going to throw that out there. But when it got to the point of how can I have Daniel Fast approved cookies and pie, I feel like we might have missed a point somewhere. And that was a real conversation. The point isn't how to make my fast feel as little like a fast as possible. The point is to deny ourselves in three weeks. I mean, three weeks seems like a long time. Three weeks is really not that long of a time. But it is quite simply to, uh, to, to give up and, again, be aware of your own medical, physical needs. In your guide on page three, uh, in your journey um, journal, you'll see uh, page three and four, just some guidelines, what is fasting, 
We have some books out there that were very helpful to some people last year. It has both a 21-day devotion and uh, different uh, meal planning. Those of you that have kids kind of have to take that into consideration. I understand that. We did it as a family of, uh, with four kids of all ages, and um, we're going to do that again together as a family. But, I, but my, my plea to you as your pastor is, one, is to engage in the Daniel Fast with us together. I, I think God, God, when we corporately engage the Spirit uh, together, and we just see this, the biblical testimony is that it shifts things, and that's what we need. And so I'm going to invite you into that with us. But my real plea is this. As you enter into, if you so choose, um, may our heart posture be about prayer, not about what we eat or don't eat. About creating space in our lives and our hearts. When we feel that hunger, when we really want a steak uh, or that cup of coffee, um, that we would then turn that attention to the things of God. Prayer. The first week, we will be turning this space in here into a 24-hour uh, prayer watch um, that uh, we ask. We, we would like to have at least one person praying continuously from church Sunday the 2nd to church the Sunday the 9th that morning. Uh, and you can sign up. There's a piece of paper out there you can sign up on, or you can go online and sign up uh, for a, a prayer hour slot. Um, Someone asked me today already, like, if you don't sign up, can you come up here? Absolutely. I mean, it's open 24 hours for the first week. And so you can come up at 3 p.m. or 3 a.m. So if somebody's going to be up here praying, all we really want to do and why we're asking you to sign up is this. We want to make sure that there's always at least one person praying so that there's nonstop prayer flowing from this space for the first week of the year. So on your way out the door, I'd ask either uh, do the QR code and pull it up online where you can sign up or sign up on the paper out there. That, uh, that idea of nonstop continuous prayer, and I won't get into the full story, but I, I encourage you um, to go online, and there's some great uh, YouTube videos uh, and teachings about it, but it actually comes from the Moravians, um, which uh, God uh, reminded me of the Moravians just in the last few weeks. I've shared this with some of y'all, uh, because when we, f- I found out about the Moravians when I was finishing up seminary the year before I came to Monroe. And what the, what the Moravians experienced 400 years ago when God did a reawakening in that small group of people in this no-name town called Hernhut that was a refugee from the Protestant Catholic persecutions that were going on at the time, uh, God birthed a movement that was global in its nature because a small community of people agreed that they were going to focus on loving Jesus loving each other, and then sharing his good news with whoever they met. And they were going to put all the other theological, political uh, differences aside, and they were going to focus on those three things. And it launched what is now the modern-day missions movement. If any of you have ever heard of John Wesley or ever been a part of the Methodist church, John Wesley was empowered and launched because of his encounter with the Moravians. Without the Moravians, it is argued that the one that was one of the greatest uh, uh, catalysts for what became the Great Awakening, uh, at, at the time before the Moravians, he was questioning his own salvation. God did something, and no one knows these people. So all that to say, when we moved to Monroe, we actually, early on, I found some old journals, because like, I'd totally forgotten about this. We joked about the Monrovians, they had the Moravians 300, 400 years ago, and now we have the Monrovians. And what if from this small town, and I really believe this, 
And maybe I'm crazy. I really believe this. I told a few of this the other day. That God wants to do something in this place. We had this sense. That God wants to do something in this little town that most people have never heard of that will resonate around the world. That there will be people that run into each other in North Africa and Europe and they'll go, oh, wait a second. You're from Monroe too? Just like no one knows about the Moravians, but it launched the global missions movement of today, that it, it stirred up what became the Great Awakening, the greatest revival our world has seen since Acts. Why not? Why could God, God not do something just as great, if not greater, here in our day? Do you believe it? Can you believe it? So worship, I mean, sorry, fasting and prayer, and then lastly, worship. We are going to we are gonna, uh, set aside Wednesday nights in here again, beginning with the 5th, that first Wednesday, through that 21-day Daniel fast, to just come up here and worship together. At 6 o'clock or 6.30, it's in here, uh, we're just going to come and worship God. Things sh- shake in the heavens when God's people worship him. And I know we have some kids, and so there's a few things. This is the end, and this will be our, our final, and then we'll sing a couple more songs, worship through song again together. But uh, kids, I need y'all to help me out with something. I've noticed that a lot of your parents have this idea of worship as, uh, as, as something that we do when, by standing and singing a song. But you know that the Bible actually doesn't talk about worship very much from this posture. And so if you're a kid in the room, we all stand up with me? I see you. Stand up. <laughs> all right. Okay. Let's say, help me out here. Let's say that you just ran a race and you crossed the finish line, and you won the race, what would you do? You run across the finish line, what's the first thing you do? Y'all are, okay, I need some help here. Parents, maybe y'all can do it. You just ran a race, and you crossed the finish line. You're the winner. What do you do? It's universal. It is absolutely universal. Every nationality, every language around the world, when they experience victory, what happens to their bodies? Hands go up. It's a universal thing. And so the Bible, over and over again throughout Psalms, talks about, and I lift up my hands in praise to you, oh my God. Now let me ask you another question, kids. I still need your help. Let's say you make some really bad choices in your life. And you're running from the cops. <laughs> we just took a dark turn, didn't we? <laughs> and they stop you. And you stumble out of the car and they have their guns drawn. What do you do? <laughs> right? And what word does this mean? I surrender. I surrender right? I surrender. So we have praise, victory, we have surrender, and again, the psalmist declare, hear the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cry to you for help, 
when I lift up my hands toward your most holy sanctuary. Psalm 28, 2. All right, let's say, y'all are doing great. Let's say that I have a huge present to give you. Uh, my kids, <laughs> uh, we got them a punching bag for Christmas this year. We're just trying to work out some extra energy in our family. And, uh, and but it, the box is like this big, and it was like this tall, and so I'm, I'm bringing it in. And so let's say I'm gonna, I'm, I have a huge present to give you, and I'm going to put it into your hands. What do you do with your hands to get it? Right? You open up your hands wide to receive that great present that God has for you. And in the same way, there's a posture in our heart uh, there's, a, there's a position in our heart that is opened up by our physical posture of opening our hands to receive. More than a punching bag, more than an amazing coffee cup, but the grace and the love of God. That's why at the end uh, of the gathering each week, I, I, I pray a blessing and a benediction over our church, and I'll say, Put your hands over your heart or out in a posture of receiving. Because there's something that happens in our physical body. Uh, sorry, happens in our soul that lines up with our physical body. We know this from our lives. I'll ask you again. All right, so y'all are heading to the Falcons game, right? Some of y'all may be uh, cheering on the Georgia Bulldogs in the next little bit, right? Okay, they score a touchdown. What do you do? We know this. We know this, right? So why would we think that when we come together to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, when we remember and recognize the amazing gifts that he is pouring into our lives, his power that is at work within us, the same power that rose Jesus Christ from the dead that is available for you and for me, that our heart posture would be any different than when our favorite football team scores a touchdown, than when we're receiving an amazing Christmas present, when the cops pull us over and we... Just kidding, I hope that's not. <laughs> I'm going to give you a few more postures just because it's not just simply our hands that the Bible often talks about in regards to postures of worship. More often, what the Bible talks about isn't just simply that our hands are raised in surrender and, and mercy, that our hands are raised in prayer and adoration and victory and celebration. But the most repeated posture of worship and prayer is actually this right here. Ezra 9, 5, and at the evening sacrifice, I arose from my heaviness, and having torn my garment and my mantle, I fell upon my knees, and I spread out my hands unto the Lord. Psalm 95, 6, come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our God, our maker. Daniel 6, 10, that he got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God. Acts 9.40, Peter giving this miraculous vision that would forever change the world, that the gospel wasn't just for the Jews, but for all people as he knelt and prayed 
to receive God's word. Ephesians 3.14, for this reason I kneel before the Father. Philippians 2.10, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Exodus 34.8, Moses bowed to the ground at once and he worshiped. 1 Kings 18.42, Elijah climbed to the, mount, the top of Carmel, bent down to the ground, put his face between his knees and called on the name of God. Luke twenty two forty one. 41, Jesus himself knelt down and began to pray, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. The posture of kneeling is a posture of surrender, is a posture of vulnerability, is a posture of expectation, is a posture of hope, that the King of Kings sees you, places his hands on us, and then lifts us back up as beloved children to send us forward, filled by him, loved by him. And then the last is this. The Bible talks about a lot about lifting up our hands, opening our hands, kneeling and getting on our face. And this is the last part of this Watch Week journal that I'll tell you about. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at the life of Joseph as we finish the book of Genesis together. And that awakening of, God's, of a dreamer's heart for God's purposes feels like a very appropriate thing for us to process together as a church family. So I encourage you to study, and there's actually 21 days of just uh, of journal, of scripture journal um, entries that you can go through with God. If you also sign up, uh, we'll send you a daily text, and that text is not just simply Genesis, it's different uh, passages of scripture to study each day, that we would turn our hearts to God's word. God, what are you saying to me? What do you want to do? What are you going to open me up to? But then it's this, at the end of the day, each one of these 21-day journals, if you so choose to enter into this journey together, is a reflection at the end of the day. What do you need to release, to forgive, to let go of, to receive forgiveness for? What has God been saying and teaching and doing in you through the course of that day? And just as Mary treasured and pondered, I believe that God is going to be speaking God's going to be showing you things. God's going to be setting you up for divine encounters that you have eyes to see. Oh, this conversation was about you, God. This coincidental occurrence was you doing something, God. And the other, the last posture of prayer, the Bible talks about is lying down. For some of you, that's your favorite posture of prayer. But I'm talking about prayer, not sleeping. But lying down and meditating on the Lord. That as we are on our backs, in other words, that posture of, of, of just release and receiving and vulnerability, allowing the Holy Spirit to have his way in our body, our heart, our mind, our spirit and soul. Psalm 4.4, tremble and do not sin. When you're on your bed, search your hearts and be silent. Psalm 63, 5 and 6, my soul is satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth 
offers praises with joyful lips. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches, for you've been my help, and in the shadow of your wings, I sing for joy. Psalm 77, 6. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. And my spirit made a diligent search. My encouragement isn't just simply that we would come together in fasting, we come up here in prayer, that we come up here in worship, that we create, intentionally create space in our day between you and the Father in heaven to hear from God, to receive from God, to process with God. And if you take these 21 days to establish a new habit of encountering God in your daily life, then like the shepherds, to have see, seen and to have heard, and to go forward praising and glorifying God and telling everyone the amazing things that God has done. Let me pray for us. We'll continue to worship I invite you, whether as families or as individuals, to come up and just kneel. We just talked about it, so let's do it. Let's raise our hands and praise to God. Let's open our hands and surrender. Let's get on our, knee, on our knees and kneel before the Lord our God together. I invite you into communion. That body and that blood, that reminder through the bread and the cup of Jesus' presence and Jesus' forgiveness. And communion was meant to be a communal act. So I encourage you as families to come up here, kneel together, take communion together, pray for one another, search your hearts. God, is there anything I need to let go of? Is there anything I need to release? Anywhere I need your forgiveness and grace? Anywhere I need your healing and power? And the communion becomes an act of faith. God, I receive what you have for me. And I receive what you have done for me. The forgiveness of God in Jesus Christ by the shedding of his blood. So as you'll stand, and as we worship, whether you want to get on your face, if you want to get on your knees, if you want to raise your hands, if you want to come together as families and take communion, let us be free in this place to do what the Lord leads. So Father, we say, come Lord Jesus, come Holy Spirit, have your way with us even this morning. God, may we be as faithful as Mary, treasuring, guarding and protecting the things that you have shown us, the things you have spoken to us, pondering, meditating on your word in our soul. And like the shepherds, may we be people forever changed and sent back into our lives, having encountered you, carrying that good news for the rest of the world. Will you do something, God? We are begging you, Lord, will you do something here in our day, in our town, in our little church, God? Starting with us. God, will you cast away all of the petty things that we focus on? The division, the hatred and the bitterness, the fear and the anxiety. None of that is from you, and we reject it in the name of Jesus. God, will you raise us up above the, the little concerns of this world, that our eyes would be focused and fixed on you. God, we meet us here.
In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let us worship God.